there's some huge barriers towards like even learning the simplest biotechnology stuff, um, and those need to be brought down. Welcome to the Greener Grass Podcast from Bluebird Botanicals. I'm your host, Lex Pelger. Growing big, beautiful cannabis plants is a satisfying way to produce THC and CBD. But is it the most efficient? Most of the energy and biomass goes into the stalk and the leaves, creating more work for us later when we try to extract our beloved chemical compounds from the chaff. That's why Kevin Chen founded Hyacinth Bio. They're a science-based startup that hacked yeast cultures, genetically engineering these single-celled organisms to produce cannabinoids. This kind of genetic engineering could increase production and energy efficiency on a large scale, and he wants more people to learn about it. So if you're curious about biohacking, gene editing, and the future of cannabis chemistry, please enjoy this conversation with Kevin Chen. This show is brought to you by Bluebird Botanicals to spread education about cannabis and other things on the greener side of life. Bluebird CBD oil comes from farms in southern Colorado and is grown using only water, soil, and sunlight. Go to bluebirdbotanicals.com for more info. Hello, everybody. I'm very happy to be here today with Kevin Chen, who is the CEO and co-founder of Hyacinth Bio. Thanks so much. Hey, Lex. Nice to meet you and uh, excited to be here today. All right. So I wanted to hear first, before we get on to your company, what you're up to, uh, did you always feel like you were a scientist, even when you were little? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think so. Uh, in in hindsight, I remember like as a kid looking at like you know uh, some kids wanted to be firemen, others like astronauts, and then like somehow I think maybe I drove past like a science lab one day and looked in the window, and then as a kid I remember that moment being like, oh, maybe I'll be a scientist when I'm older, and then uh, I kept studying science as I went along and always enjoyed it. So yeah. And your background is in biochemistry, correct? Yes, that's correct. And so where uh, where did you go to school and did you get to work on any projects while you were there? Yeah, I went to school at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. It's where I did my bachelor's uh, in biochemistry. And I worked on a couple of projects um, that were for an engineering design kind of competition, but for genetic engineering. Uh, and it's called uh, the International Genetically Engineered Machine Competition, or iGEM. Uh, and it's definitely worth looking up for anyone who's like, at all interested in genetic engineering. It's kind of this huge, you know, 4,000 students from around the world, all over the place, come and gather and they present their super hard core, interesting, like <laughs> genetic engineering products, which range from like engineering a bacteria to play like rock, paper, scissors to engineering bacteria to, you know, cure cancer kind of thing. Um, so that was kind of where uh, one of the first few projects that I worked on that were like, you know, genetic engineering related and, and were uh, really uh, looking towards solving problems problems. Um, and that's where a lot of my inspiration towards, you know, what I do now came from. Interesting. Was there also a business aspect to that project? There were a certain amount of funds you had and you had to watch out how to run this project? Yeah, pretty much. We ended up getting lucky with, uh, uh, I guess, both of our, the years that I participated in the competition. Um, now I'm a, a judge for it. Um, we got, uh, we were doing environmental related projects and got uh, money from um, one of the uh, some sort of foundation connected to the oil sands 
um, in Alberta. Uh, and so, yeah, we had to go out and get our own funding and uh, get professors to help us and hire our own team and then come up with our own ideas for, you know, how you might solve like a problem in the world and then and then trying to engineer an organism to do it. So that that whole process was a lot of, you know, what we did in the earlier days of, of starting up Hyacinth was exactly the same thing almost. Wow. So what great practice. And what was the project that you were working on? What kind of genetic machine? Um, <laughs> it's, let me think about how to phrase this. Uh, we, we always pick like these, uh, I mean, this is just like a bunch of undergrads. So I was like maybe like 20 at the time or 18 or something like that even. And then uh, just thinking of like what would be cool to like engineer uh, an organism to do. Um, and uh, one of the products that we worked on, uh, which overall went went okay in the end, I think uh, we did we did well at the competition, uh, was to engineer these microscopic worms uh, called nematodes, and uh, engineer them to actually be able to uh, seek out and destroy uh, any chemicals that are harmful in the environment. So the idea would be like, okay, if there's a bunch of pesticides in like a, a farm area, or if there's a bunch of like a chemical spill of some sort, then you'd be able to release these worms into the wild. And they would kind of, uh, instead of just swimming around and normally eating their regular food sources, they would also go out and, and find these uh, nasty chemicals that uh, are going to be bad for you and then uh, eat those instead. Um, and that was the the uh, the crazy idea that we came up with uh, back in 2011. This was that is a crazy idea. Yeah, yeah, but it's super fun, and uh, and we got. Um, I mean, our results weren't super great because that's like a really lofty challenge to try and like pursue and get real tangible data out of. Um, but the the whole process of the competition was was lots of fun, and and uh, the team was awesome, and is actually also one of my co-founders of Hyacinth was on that team as well. And I guess doing a project like that in some ways isn't nearly as crazy as trying to become an officially licensed dealer of cannabinoids in this day and age. Um, yeah, maybe uh, that that project, if we continued it, I'm sure would have had a lot of the similar kinds of challenges as far as, you know, how you actually implement a project like that. And and we we investigated like a little bit of that, you know, uh, in our in our student project, but it's still just a student project. And then nowadays, yeah, it's uh, uh, we're... Uh, uh, swimming through our own sea of regulatory uh, considerations that are changing all the time and always getting more exciting. And uh, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's stressful, but uh, usually it's it's fun. <laughs> and so can you tell me about the, the founding of Hyacinth and how it went and the challenges? Yeah, for sure. So back in 2014, uh, when we first got started, uh, it was uh, uh, myself and at the time we were four other co-founders. Um, and uh, we were, um, I had worked for another startup the year beforehand and had some experience there and had some connections uh, through them uh, to, to an investment fund. And there was a new startup accelerator program, uh, which is now called Rebel, Rebel Bio. And it's based in, in London, uh, and it's specifically for biotechnology companies. And they had just started off and were having their first cohort, and I heard about it through my friends. And then uh, with my, my friends who were my, my, became my co-founders, we were just kind of like brainstorming ideas and thinking about things because there was this really interesting opportunity to, to start a company and to get this kind of like you know early stage startup support that basically didn't exist in the world at the time. Um, uh, they were really, you know, very few opportunities to get early stage funding for startups and most of it was uh, all the funding would go towards more like academic spinouts or to uh, just like regular grants and stuff and so uh, this provided like a unique opportunity for us to get started so we started thinking of ideas and and made our list of various uh 
uh, potential targets or problems or challenges or like products that we could make. And uh, these things ranged from the opioids to the cannabinoids to like other flavors and fragrances and other things you could be making using yeast. Because that was kind of our our main skill set was to to engineer yeast to to make something. Um, and uh, after investigating the cannabinoids a bit more, and uh, and, and we ended up getting into the program. And that was like awesome we, we gave her a little pitch which is like in hindsight quite bad i think i'll reflect, reflect on that one in like a few years and be like my god how did we get that <laughs> into into this program um but uh, uh the uh, that's kind of where the idea originated and then investigated a lot more and understood kind of how the cannabinoid industry is developing and where it was at in 2014 and uh now it looks a lot different and it's uh, in many ways met the expectations that that we had back then um and uh, and still has the same sort of issues as far as uh, the kinds of things that we're able to address with our technology. So um, so far so good as far as you know uh, coming from that idea and having the right predictions at the time. Uh, but that's kind of where it all, all got started was a few of us who uh, had a few different ideas and then uh, had had a really nice opportunity to get some early stage investment. And can you talk about the business model and? where it's been and where you hope to see it going? A lot of it so far has been focused around, I mean, in general, our activity is mostly R&D because this is like, we're trying to create these this new thing that's never really existed before. Um, and that's uh, been pretty challenging and, and takes a lot of investment, a lot of time and a lot of specialized skills, uh, but we're doing quite well for ourselves. And then uh, as far as our actual business, um, we are, like our fundamental technology allows us to produce the, any of the active components of cannabis using a, a strain of yeast um, instead of having to grow plants. And so uh, there's there's a gap in the industry where uh, you can grow more plants and invest more money to grow more plants, but it always is going to have some kind of like fixed cost metric where there's there's light and there's energy and there's time that it goes into processing, uh, processing these plants. It ends up being a very arduous and expensive process. Um, and and it's nothing like you know the process that they use to make aspirin, for example, which is like a hundred fifty thousand tons of product that gets shipped around worldwide. Um, but at the same time, there's like this. Uh, that's that's kind of where a lot of uh, cannabinoid products are are going, and they're starting to have these more broad applications and starting to get applied to like more different kinds of therapeutics. And you're going to need that kind of scale if you want to deliver uh, uh, like a you know a truly global supply chain of these things. Um, and that's kind of where our our business model comes in, where it's it's about creating that supply where. Uh, we can actually, using our technology, fulfill orders that are over a ton or over 10 tons or over, hopefully over 1,000 tons one day um, and uh, and not have any issues as far as like quality control or like delayed supplies or whatever else. And uh, uh, and these are all kinds of issues that, that we see in the, the cannabis industry today uh, that, that people are still struggling with. And and then even the the, the scale issue alone is, is, a, is, is deafening, I think. Um, where it's uh yeah the the biggest grows that people are boasting about are in the range of like you know one to two tons or something like that as far as like pure cannabinoid that actually comes out of it and that's just you know such a small fraction of what is going to be out there in the future um that uh, uh there definitely needs to be a uh something has to change about this can you walk us through the basics of how you get yeast to produce cannabinoids and what you have to do so the basic concept has been around since the 1970s uh, when insulin was made using a bacteria instead of having to isolate it from like a actual pig's like pancreas. Um, 
so the idea there, and, and the same thing applies here, was that you can take the gene for insulin from a human and put that gene into a bacteria, and then the bacteria will also produce insulin. And then you can grow this bacteria in large scales and be able to supply the world without having to slaughter you know, hundreds of millions of pigs. Um, in our case, it's about taking the genes that are normally found in cannabis and putting those genes into a yeast cell. So the yeast now has ability to produce uh, THC or to produce CBD or whichever one that we choose. Um, and then after a lot of engineering and process design and, and scale up, then then we can start doing that same thing where we can uh, grow our strains of yeast at large scales instead of having to grow so many plants. And uh, the, the actual physical process uh, would look a lot more like a uh, uh, fermentation where you're adding sugar and your water and and your strain of yeast and you're letting that grow for about a week and then you isolate your product at the end um and and this is how a lot of other uh, i mean i mentioned insulin as one example of like a, a popular fermentation based product that's that exists right now um but there's all kinds of food ingredients like uh, citric acid or lactic acid, um, or if you want to think even more basically, like you know, ethanol is a fermentation product, um, and that's that's it all has to come from these organisms that are all engineered in some way, shape, or form. That's that's a very fascinating uh, solution, and so you have to identify these um, synthase pathways. So do you have them for other cannabinoids besides THC and CBD? Uh, yep. We've got a good list of, um, uh, and, and an always growing list of, of hundreds or thousands of different genes that, uh, uh, would be useful in this, this pathway. Um, and, and it's interesting to kind of seek out these ones that like the, the one for THC is kind of like out there. There's a few different options as far as how you can, how you can make these things. Um, but some of the more interesting ones like THCV and CBDV are, are, are out there and are being explored. And I can't speak too much to exactly, you know, what our, uh, more unique approaches as far as, you know, solving these problems. Um, but uh, this is kind of where, you know, we start hitting the edge of science where it's like, okay, there's there's not really a clear way to just pull these genes from there, put them here, and then suddenly you have product being made. Um, there's there's all kinds of different challenges that, that are there and a lot of stuff that's not really known. And that's uh, part of the challenge and also part of the fun of what we do. And it's interesting that you're not working in an academic space where you're just trying to solve a problem. You're trying to solve a problem at scale uh, using a business model. What was it like to start learning business skills through a biotech company and and apply that to how you ferment and how you separate and how you purify these yeast producing cannabinoids? Yeah, so coming from that was a that was a big jump actually when we started out with uh, where I was coming from a biochemistry background and studied mostly science and then I was put through this startup accelerator program which gave me all these uh, all these business skills um, and and you know I remember my my first pitch being kind of like oh and here's all this stuff about the science and which genes we're using and blah 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 and and all these nice things and then the the investor who was like the mentor for the program was like cut all of that like all of that is just like jargon nobody understands it and and you're just losing people and people get bored and they don't and it's just like uh you know you just sound smart and you don't actually like convince people of of anything that's like you know valuable <laughs> and so uh, uh there's a bunch of like yeah these really interesting learning curves that you had to get on to actually uh, start to you know learn to communicate this company and communicate what we're doing and and to convince investors to join the team and then uh, and, and convince employees that they should uh, join your company and all these different kinds of really interesting scenarios that um i've had to go through um but a lot of it is uh uh, I mean, as far as coming up with the uh, business and and comparing that to science, uh, it's it's interesting to draw this line that 
goes straight from like the discovery of something all the way to the actual product of something. Um, and that's something that is very rarely done, I think, in academia or in academic science, um, where uh, you actually have something that started out in your lab and then actually becomes a product. Usually the goal is like to publish a paper and then you, you kind of walk away from it. Um, or somebody else is supposed to pick that up, or you try and spin out a company eventually, and then you you have something. But um, you know, for us, the this <laughs> there's so much more reality to uh, to deal with. Where uh, if we don't succeed, then like that kind of means uh, it doesn't mean that we have to do another year of our PhD or something like that. It means that our, our company fails and we have to start over from scratch, maybe uh, in the in the worst case scenario. Um, and I think that that is uh, something else that's really that's really important. That I, I actually value that a lot in uh, in my opinion. Um, where uh, and this this might be part of like my initial uh, spark to becoming an entrepreneur was that um, you know I wasn't very satisfied with the idea of uh, doing science in a way that just kind of leaves it at this publication stage. I'd rather see science become products and to uh to accelerate that process of uh of research and development so that instead of you know just always wondering and always tinkering around labs we can uh spend our money a lot more effectively and and actually you know create something real that people are actually going to use and that people actually need someday um and and that need right now almost you know and so what advice would you offer to scientists out there who are listening who might want to become entrepreneurs as well so I think I think for all scientists that are or people that are interested in science or, or uh, I mean young scientists or old scientists or even if you're in high school, um, you should always kind of be looking for, you know, what you really what kind of lifestyle you want to lead in the future and what you really care about as like you know the most important thing and what uh, kind of boundaries you want to push as far as uh, your own your own work and and uh, and your own personality and what you want to test yourself with. Um, so for for example, uh, for me, I wasn't I was somebody who wasn't very satisfied by the academic system, and and I felt like I needed to do uh, more things, I needed to work in smaller teams, and work faster on on really interesting products, and get things done that are um, that are going to be higher risk and higher higher impact. Um, and I wasn't going to wait around, you know, another ten years of education and and thousands of dollars uh, to to get to become a professor or something like that, and then have my own I own my own job of some sort. Um, and uh, and I don't see myself being a professor where it's you know more about like sitting around and what it, you know writing grants and and uh, I love I love to teach but <laughs> I'm not that interested in uh, uh, teaching lecture halls of like 300 board students or something like that right. Um, so uh, if you if you as a scientist really really want to be on that path then that's a path that you can you can be on but um, I think what I uh, uh, if I give advice to my past self, it's that, you know, there's more than uh, what people talk about out there as far as like science careers, uh, you know, there's stuff in like art and design and policy and, uh, and it's not just like an industry academia kind of like choice you have to make of some sort. Um, you know, we can, as scientists, apply our skills to all different kinds of different fields and and even you you're a biochemist and you're in like doing more like media stuff right now and i think you're uh yeah so it doesn't, doesn't mean your your degree is wasted it means that you can uh use your degree to communicate more science which is awesome we need more people that are like that um 
and uh, and that's something that that is is hard to remember as you as you go along and as you go through your you know your degree programs and stuff. And you you keep thinking about this this one track that you're on. You kind of uh, should be and uh, and and should definitely feel free to explore and, and should definitely explore into like all kinds of areas that uh, that might uh, be interesting for you. It's great advice. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be in science with much more unique opportunities of how yeah. to apply yourself. Because I am very impressed that you jumped in and founded this. It's a it's a crazy great idea, and it's very cool <laughs> that it's you're making it fly. Yeah, and and maybe another point of advice is to just you know maybe you should just jump off the jump into the deep end, you know, and and see if you can uh, see if you can float. And part that's you know a little bit of how how we got started as well. It was it wasn't like uh you know I've had my my parents aren't entrepreneurs, and I don't have that many entrepreneur friends back then when I started. Um, and it was really just like me seeing an opportunity, and then and then going for it. And if it didn't work out, then you know I'd be doing something else today, obviously. But uh, so far, it's uh, looking pretty good for me. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so so people shouldn't be yeah that afraid to just you know go for something and see see what happens, and then you can always if in the worst case you can always go back to school, I guess. And you also mentioned policy um, in there, and I was curious about uh, being in Canada and being a biotech company and all the hassles of business as well. What was it like on the governmental side of becoming an officially licensed dealer of cannabinoids? Um, this was a really interesting and eye-opening process, I think. And I don't know if you've, uh, I mean, with, with your work and with your other interviews, if you've gotten any insight on this, uh, you know, how, how the government looks at these things or how various governments look at these things. Um, but, uh, in Canada, we overall had a, uh, I would say overall really good time. Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, we can, we can, speak to like Canada's forwardness in terms of actually pushing these regulations forward to, to kind of our process. And in that, you know, we got a lot of support as we went through uh, the different levels of regulation. And for us, it started out with like an R&D permit where it's like, okay, you're allowed to have your tiny lab and your tiny, you know, just amounts of stuff. Uh, and then becoming a, a licensed dealer, which is now, uh, that's part of the old system. That was a new system that we're transitioning over to. Um, but uh uh, you know, getting to the through through these processes were were really difficult always, and it was always like, um, you know, you. I'm trying to think of like, I think a good, a good defining way of of talking about you know how this how this happened was, uh, you know, being on the phone with somebody from from Health Canada, uh, and and going through like you know explaining what we're doing, and then they kind of. Uh, give an answer to like, oh, then we should think you should be in like this category of things. And then we're like, well, actually, it doesn't really work out for us because we're trying to do this, this, and this, and this. And then they're kind of like, oh, and there's like a bit of a <laughs> silence of like pause where they're like the, um, I guess, whoever whoever's hired there is trying to like, you know, think about like where, what should happen next actually. And then they, they uh, and then almost always they're like, you know, embracing like the science and they understand the impact of the technology. And then they're like, okay, well, we'll set up another call like next week with this other people or, uh, or we'll, we'll, you know, revise your application this way and then this will be fine. Or like, we'll, we'll do this to, to help, you know, make this make sense for you guys. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it's been, uh, I mean, some people complain about this all the time where about like regulations and stuff, but I think, uh, for in our case where it's, uh, about, you know, creating new technologies and about, uh, about embracing them and about, um, being, uh, uh, proactive and supportive in your, in your regulations. Um, uh, I think Canada has been, been awesome at that. Wow. It must be nice being somewhere so forward thinking. 
uh, there's a lot of jealousy here south of the border um, about how can how far ahead Canada is on cannabinoids and harm reduction and you know general civility and treating people like humans. Yeah, for sure, and it's it's different challenges everywhere. And you know, when at some point, you know, we'll be doing business in the U.S. as well um, in the future. But I don't know, I don't know when exactly we'll we'll get into that. Uh, wait, wait until regulations do shake themselves out a bit more. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, the U.S. is a is a different country, and Canada's uh, fortunately, you know, we've we've had the right kind of government who's willing to uh, push for these things, um, and. Uh, uh, and that's that's worked out for us so far. I think uh, I mean the all the there's plenty of naysayers in Canada who think you know uh, that this whole legalization thing isn't going to work out in the end, and and you know we'll uh, we'll see one day if their you know worst case scenario predictions come true or not. Um, but so far, I think things are going well, and and we feel really supported uh, in terms of how we're how we're approaching this and the science that we're doing. Um, and you mentioned community as well, and it seems like something that your company and, and you are are passionate about. Can you tell a little bit more about your involvement with maker spaces and community biology? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's funny. Uh, this is like very much a side project for me, but uh, I love to promote it anyways and, and get more people thinking about you know doing uh, more community projects and and uh, and. Uh, finding you know new ways to to help communicate and teach science uh, and technology and so um, I've been helping to run uh, a fairly large makerspace around Montreal for the past few years um, and that's been a fun like entrepreneurial project of, of mine um, and also since I'm a biochemist then I'm also pretty interested in integrating you know biochemistry into these kinds of spaces uh, and now there's a whole this whole movement called do-it-yourself biology or, or sometimes it's called biohacking or sometimes it's called community biotechnology um, which where the idea is to encourage more more people to just kind of engage in biotechnology research or science or whatever in more of a uh, hobbyist or more of an accessible way um, uh, uh, that doesn't have the access barriers of like you know uh, I guess in Canada it's like maybe more like five to ten thousand dollars of tuition in the US it's more like maybe twenty thousand dollars of tuition I guess depending on where you go so there's there's some huge barriers towards like even learning the simplest biotechnology stuff um, and those need to be brought down um, uh, whether it's for you know just uh, just for the sake of like society, but uh, also for uh, the future of technology and for uh, uh, for getting kids to be inspired and for getting anyone to be inspired to to develop the next uh, big and interesting things in technology. Um, and uh, and we see this all the time in like electronics and in software stuff. And we want to see more of that that kind of uh, interest and motivation in, in biotechnology as well. Um, and actually, my my last two questions are are about the future and forward thinking. Uh, and the first one is a little bit science fictiony. Um, with this kind of work and being able to use yeast to produce many different compounds, are you surprised that the drug cartels haven't picked up on the fact that you could be using yeast to produce opioids already? Uh, I guess I've always envisioned a future where in every city there's some apartment that's pumping out the opioids for that city so they no longer have to come from Afghanistan. And it, you know, the pressures of the black market will uh, cause that to be a viable option. Yeah, that's a good uh, good speculation, and and it's been many years that people have speculated on this topic. Um, so, uh, and I guess where we fall in this, in it is like along with the rest of the cannabis regulations, where it's like okay, now it's kind of okay to grow at home, uh, uh, at least in Canada and and some of the U.S. as well. Um, 
but uh, this this future of where you know everything is made using yeasts and and people can do this in their apartments um, that that could show up one day as far as you know uh, where the what the future might hold. Um, but for now, it's uh, uh, you know it is it is really challenging to get a yeast to produce the thing that you want it to produce as long as that thing isn't like ethanol. Um, and to get it to produce something that it really is not used to producing at all, like a cannabinoid or an opioid. So even even the opioid kind of work that's that's published out there right now, and this is like not it's not our area, but there's a few companies that are developing this more commercially. Um, it's still really really uh, early, and and to get uh, a yeast to actually produce at like relevant amounts is uh, is extremely challenging and to get it to, to isolate that properly is, is also very challenging. Um, and is definitely beyond, you know, the, uh, uh, and this is like, you know, the smartest of the smart people that, that have done biotechnology for, for years that are trying to do this stuff. Um, so, so for me, it's not really a, a big concern that like somebody in their basement is going to suddenly figure out how to like magically get a use to produce, uh, opioids and then, and then create a, a, another problem. Um, uh, there's just too much, yeah, too much of a barrier in terms of uh, the technology that's required, not just to like do the engineering, but also even the process of actually doing like the growth and the purification that ends up being very specific for uh, each each product. Um, and there's some really interesting projects. Um, I think in the last you know last year or two years ago that uh, a few researchers published on on this topic of opioid production, and then uh, one of them even went and tried to test this out in like a home brewing setting where they took their strains of yeast and put them in a home brewing culture, and then clearly didn't see any kind of opioid being produced because like yeah, it's just too low yields, and uh, I don't know if that helped you know address many of like the public's opinions about you know this kind of work and how controversial it is, but it at least uh, you know provided you know an actual like physical basis that like no, you can't just do this at home and uh, and the science is is quite a bit more complicated than that and it'll take a few more years until uh, most of the stuff is even uh, brought to market at like a pharmaceutical like you know top science level and then uh, maybe in like a hundred years from now there'll be tools that are going to be good enough to do this at home but then still there'll be uh, you know it's the there's a lot of people who are already discussing the regulations of these kinds of things and these possible scenarios that I'm sure will have uh, a whole range of solutions to kind of address these things uh, before the the issues start to crop up. So yeah, I think that's my long long-winded answer to that that question and that that scenario. It's but it's a it's a fun one to to speculate on. A lot of people speculate on that. Yeah, good. It's and it's a great answer, and it also assures me I can still sell this as a science fiction story. It's still far enough away. I'll write it up that way. Yeah, and it's shown up in here places here and there. I think we were in uh, uh, the sixth or seventh season of Mr. Robot at some point. Somebody's this some somebody tweeted me and said like, "Oh, you're in Mr. Robot. Go check this out." And then there's this quote from this guy being like, "Oh yeah, you can make THC and yeast nowadays." And like, like oh geez, okay. <laughs> Wonder where they got that idea. <laughs> you're making it. Maybe, yeah. Um, and speaking of, the last question is, what is the future of Hyacinth and what are you most excited about? I am most excited about the, I mean, the latest thing that uh, happened with us was our, our new investment round from Organogram in September. Um, and that's been kind of a, uh, uh, I would say, a long, a long ways coming uh, as far as, you know, that level of, of funding and that level of relationship uh, where it sets us really on a on a clearer path towards um, 
uh, towards like success and towards like production and towards the market. Um, and I think every startup probably goes through this at some point in their in their cycle where there's like you know some either you need like a bunch more investment or maybe you need to figure out this key thing with your product to actually get it to uh, to be marketable. And and then after you reach that point, then you've crossed that you know uh, uh, maybe it's a valley of death, I guess in some cases. Um, and suddenly things are are just exponentially different. Where you know even even the way that uh, like I remember two thousand sixteen, it was still just me and the the three other co founders, and and we were um, uh, paying ourselves just barely enough money to survive until we could get to the next like key milestone or get to the next like little bit of funding that came in. Um, and and then, uh, but still being able to get you know reasonable science done. Um, and now things are different where it's like, you know, we've done a lot of the science and that's going to form a good basis for the next science that we're going to do. And then this next science that we're going to do is going to be so much better and so much faster and have so many more people around it uh, that that's just going to be so much more exciting. And, you know, we're going to have our, our little like holiday party this weekend. It's going to be like, uh, you know, we can we can almost fill a bar with people now because we're we're uh, <laughs> we're such a big team. Whereas beforehand it was like, you know, we just go to a bar and hang out uh, for, for and have a couple of drinks. Now it's like we have to reserve stuff in advance and that's uh that's that's much different and, and also very exciting in uh uh and uh uh stressful in different ways but uh but it's all good stuff uh but this sort of phase of like yeah things are different now uh it's super exciting to kind of be on this team and to be building it and to have so many more people involved and uh uh things are going to move really fast for us and so we're excited to you know see what happens next uh we're excited to um be looking for you know the next business partners that we want to have on the next companies that we want to partnership partnerships with um and like the next kinds of uh ideas that people have that are going to be like you know global scale pharmaceuticals or uh just really great uh maybe really great consumer products that are going to come up um because that's ultimately where where we're headed uh is like you know uh we want to find these ideas and the companies that are going to be the global leaders in this space and, uh, and find the unique ideas that are kind of going to be like the, uh, the mass market product of, uh, in the cannabis world um, and be the ones that are able to help them get to the global scale that they need to be. Um, and now we can, we're so much closer to being able to, to make that commitment compared to, uh, um, yeah, definitely compared to like five years ago and, and yeah, even compared to like two years ago. It's a really inspiring story of of science entrepreneurism, and I thank you so much for sharing it. Yeah, no problem. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for sharing, and uh, we wish you the best of luck in the future, and hope we'll get a chance to uh, check in a little bit down the road and see how everything's going. Yeah, please do, and uh, really nice to chat. Thanks, Kevin. Greener Grass is a Bluebird Botanicals podcast. Their CBD oil supports a healthy body and a strong endocannabinoid system. They've got friendly customer service who can answer any of your questions, and the number is right there at the top of their webpage. But, per the FDA, they won't be able to make any medical claims for these nutritional supplements. That's also the reason you'll hear little about CBD on this show. There's no need for us to add more evidence about CBD when a simple Google search will give you more than you can read in a month of Sundays. So this show covers the cannabis world and more with editorial freedom from Bluebird Botanicals. Thanks for joining the Greener Grass podcast. As always, our audio alchemist is Matt Payne. The Gypsy Jazz theme music comes from Brett Van Donsel. Our beautiful bird sounds are courtesy of Lang Elliott. 
And I'm your host, Lex Pelger, wishing you a bright green day.